We are concluding our little mini-series we're doing on spiritual disciplines. Um, I'm going to be teaching today on studying God's Word. Very simple, very straightforward. going to be teaching on that at the end of our time today. I'm going to really quickly do a live demonstration about how I have a quiet time. And then we're going to do communion. But uh, let me tell you a couple things going on next week. We're starting our summer preaching series. We've got Afshin Ziafat next week. Um, if y'all remember, he came and taught for us last uh, summer, did a fantastic job. Everybody raved about Afshin. He will be back next week. And um, before I jump in today, I want to give you a little update on me, um, just to save, save a bunch of emails. But um, two weeks ago, went in to do a routine physical, which uh, you got to do when you get old like me. And it's been two and a half years since I've done a physical, which will uh, be pertinent to the story here in a second. Well, I did a, uh, in, the, in the physical, I did a stress test, and I thought I crushed it. The lady said I did a great job, um, made it to like level five or something, just going back to my core connect days. But uh, the doctor called me a couple of days later and said that I actually failed the stress test. So I got into the cardiologist the next day, um, did EKG, uh, scan of my heart, CT scan of my heart. Long story short, uh, doctor told me I had significant blockage in three of my arteries at 48 years old. Now, here's the funny part. That's the bad news. Here's the funny part. <clears throat> he's, he's looking at my scans because the last CT scan of the heart I did was about two and a half years ago. And he's comparing it to the one I just did. And he said, madam, I'm looking at the scan you did two and a half years ago. And it's completely clear. And he said, usually when you see that kind of, uh, you know, significant advancement in heart disease, that you've been through some kind of incredibly stressful, traumatic experience, true story, he looks at me and says, what in the world have you been doing the last two years? <sighs> it's like nothing, been living this laid back, stress-free life the last couple of years. But uh, anyway, going in Friday morning, 7.30 for a heart cath. And so would y'all please pray for me for that. Um, it's actually been comforting to be here at Sagemont because when I, I've told everybody, my old church in Austin, who's all young, they're like 48, heart disease, oh my gosh. Then they, they're freaking out. And pretty much every guy over 60, I've told is like, oh, you're gonna be fine. I got eight heart cats, you're good. You're gonna be good. So it's actually been very comforting. So thank you for that. But if you think about it, pray for me on uh, Friday morning at 7.30 if you're up. And then we'll give a report uh, either through email or next Sunday um, for that. All right, so today we're concluding our series on spiritual disciplines, talking about studying the Bible. Interestingly, two um, Sundays ago, I taught on Sabbath, which is setting aside a day in your week for the sole purpose of physical and spiritual renewal. How are y'all doing with that? Y'all been doing that over the last couple weeks? Good, I hope so. Because if you, if you needed motivation to obey the Lord in that area of your life, I am a good example of why you should do it. A couple weeks ago, I made um, the statement when I taught on Sabbath. I said that in this country, in our culture, we're not doing this. And as a result, we're destroying our bodies we're destroying our bodies. What I didn't realize at the time is 
is that was a prophetic statement over my life. Because if I'm completely honest with you, and I didn't share this last week, and I should have, but I have not been being obedient to the Lord at all in this area of my life over the last two years. I've been doing some soul searching ever since the doctor came into the room and told me that and actually went back and looked at my schedule. I just picked three months in February, March, and April, went through my calendar, did the math, and I was averaging about 70 hours a week of working here at the church, and I was not taking days off. And if you don't believe me, I encourage you to ask my wife. She has no idea I was saying this. Just next week, if you see her and you don't believe me, you say, hey, what time does Matt get up in the morning and go to church? What time does he come home? Is he taking days off? And she'll be honest with you. If you don't believe her, ask my assistant. And when I did take days off, I wasn't Sabbathing. I wasn't taking time away from work to renew myself spiritually and physically, but I was been going and preaching at different places, at conferences. This last week, just preached at the Southern Baptist Convention. And over the last couple of years, my wife, my assistant, some of the pastors, they've been begging me to slow down, but I ignored it, and now I'm paying the price. Now, I had a great excuse not to obey the Lord in this area of my life. It's the church. It's a very good reason. But what hit me and what I've been so convicted about is when you're working that many hours a week, you're not obeying the Sabbath, you're not taking days off to renew yourself and restore yourself. What you're essentially, and what I was essentially saying to God is, God, I know better than you do about how to run my life. And God, I know better than you do about how to pastor this church instead of trusting you with a Sabbath. And now I'm paying the penalty for it. That's gonna change. I also said something during my sermon on Sabbath. I said that we're ignoring this and we're destroying our bodies and it's also numbing our souls. Because just like our bodies that need physical renewal and restoration, our spirits need renewal and restoration. Would y'all agree with that? Um, just like our physical bodies, our, 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 our spirits needs to be replenished in the Lord. And it's actually a biblical concept. I want you to turn quickly with me to Ephesians 5.18. Ephesians 5.18. This is an interesting verse, <coughs> excuse me, that Paul talks about, <coughs> makes an interesting statement in Ephesians 5.18. <coughs> he says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. He says, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, here's why that's an interesting statement. Because one of the things we know about us as believers and Christians is that the, at the moment of our salvation, the moment we trust in Christ, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And so in one sense, the moment we become believers, we're filled with the Spirit. Now, Paul is speaking to Christians here. <clears throat> He's speaking to believers. He's speaking to people who have the Holy Spirit. So why does he say to them, hey, don't get drunk with wine for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit? Well, the answer to the question is found in the verb tense of that Greek phrase, be filled 
Okay, in the Greek, that phrase be filled there means to, and I want you to hear this, it means to continually be being filled up with the Spirit of God. And so what Paul is saying, what he's literally saying is, hey, don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. So here's, don't get filled up on wine. Here's what you need to get filled up on. You need to be continually be filling yourself up with the Spirit of God. Now, what that means is this, that while the Holy Spirit is always in us, if we're a believer, and he will never leave us, here's the point. Our experience of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives can increase or it can decrease depending on how filled up with him we are. If you are doing things in your life that are filling you up with the Spirit of God, you're going to experience his presence and experience his power in a profound way. If you're not doing things that are filling you up with the Spirit of God, then he's still there, but you're not gonna experience his power and his presence in the way that you should. I'll give you an example. Um, how many of y'all, raise your hand, if you've ever been on a mission trip to a foreign country? Raise your hand real high. Okay, a lot of us. <clears throat> now let me ask you guys a question. When you were on that mission trip to a foreign country, did you feel close to God? My wife and my two boys just got back from India. Real quick, I wouldn't put on telling this, but they were in India. Um, it was just Jennifer and my two boys on one of the little teams. They had an interpreter and a pastor, and we, uh, they were with Sagemont. They sent them out, just my daughter, I mean my wife, two sons, interpreter and pastor, sent them out into this village. These folks had never heard the name of Christ before, ever. The way it worked is they like had food for them, things like that, drew a crowd. There's about 150 people in this village. Sammy, my youngest, gave his testimony. My wife, Jennifer, stood up and told the story of the woman with the problem of bleeding. And then my son, J.D., got up and he preached. And he told the story of the gospel from Genesis to the resurrection. And then the pastor got, got up and just gave an invitation. Every single person in the entire village trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior. How cool is that? That's amazing. I was just, when I heard that, I was just weeping. It almost sounds too good to be true. And so this pastor is gonna be starting a church in this village that God used my family. Well, as you can imagine, my family came home and they were on fire for Jesus. They were just glowing. Why? What happens on mission trips? Well, here's what you do if you've never been on one. The first thing you do when you get up in the morning, you're in some foreign country, you get up and you spend time in God's word. And then you go uh, to breakfast and then after breakfast, breakfast, you typically have a team meeting where somebody opens up God's word and they do a devotional. And then maybe you do some worship and then you pray together. And then you leave. And then you go out during the day and you share the gospel all day long. And then you come home at night and you eat and somebody, you get together and somebody opens up a Bible and gives another devotional. And then you worship and then you pray and then you go to bed. And you do that for seven days and you come home. But during that time you're on that mission trip, what happens? You're feeling so close to God. Every time you start worshiping, you just start weeping because his presence is so thick. You're, you're in the word all day long. You're, you're praying all day long. You're sharing the gospel all day long. And so you're doing all these things that is filling you up with the Holy Spirit of God. No wonder you feel so close to him. But then 
what do you do? You come home. You come home. And what happens when you come home? You don't get up every morning and have a quiet time. You don't go and sit with your family at breakfast and somebody pulls out a guitar and you pray and have a devotional every morning. You don't spend all day sharing the gospel. You don't come home and have another worship service at night. What happens? You just slowly but surely start feeling a little more disconnected from God. Now, did God stop being powerful? Did God stop living inside of you? No and no, but the answer is, is you stop doing those things that filled you up with the Holy Spirit of God and therefore you did not sense his power and his presence the way you did when you were doing those things that filled you up with the Spirit. And so listen, one of the most important things you could ever do in your life, if you want to be a person that is experiencing the power and the presence of God, is to, it's, it's so simple, is to spend time with the Lord in his word and to learn to do it on a daily basis. Scripture says, train yourself in godliness. If you're depending on me to be the one that trains you in the word of God, you are missing out on one of the greatest blessings in life. To learn to study God's word and to do it yourself is one of the most important things you could ever do to be filled with the spirit. You know, whenever I counsel people and I try not to counsel people too often because I'm a horrible counselor, but when I do counsel people, one of the things I often hear is they're like, Matt, I feel so distant from God. I don't feel like he's hearing my prayers. I feel like we're, we're just like, He's so far off. And inevitably, I'll ask him this question. I'll say, hey, you feel distant from God, all right? What has your time in the word been like over the last couple months? And inevitably, every single time, they'll say, well, I haven't really been spending time in the word. I'm like, okay. I'm like, well, are, are, are you praying? You know, are you talking to God? And they're like, no, no, I'm not really talking to God. And what I'm thinking in my head is like, well, of course you feel distant from God. You're not reading his word. You're not talking to him. Of course you feel distant. It would be, it would be the equivalent. I don't say that, by the way. I'm much more nice, but that's what I'm thinking. But it would be like me going to marriage counseling. Me going to one of our counselors here at Sagemont and saying, hey, man, I am just, I need help. I'm feeling really, really distant from my wife, Jennifer. What do I do? And the counselor asked me a question. Well, when's the last time that you've spent quality time with her? And I say, well, it's been a couple of months, okay? When's the last time you sat down face-to-face -face on the couch, turned off the TV, and you just looked at each other, and you had a conversation, just the two of you connecting? I was like, well, it's been a couple of months. And him looking at me and saying, that is the problem. Of course you feel disconnected from your wife. Of course you don't feel close to her because you have not spent time with her. Church, there is a direct connection between you getting into God's word and it is God's word. We've heard that so often, we miss the point. It is him speaking. Every word of our book is him speaking. You say, well, if I could just hear from the Lord, pick up the Bible, you're hearing from the Lord. It's his. There is a direct connection between you spending quality time in the word of God and you being filled up with the spirit of God and therefore you experiencing his presence and his power in your life. Now, real quick, I want to show you something out of Psalms 119, if you want to turn with me. I think this is, I'm in the ESV, Psalms 119. 
Psalms 119 is all about God's word. And the psalmist is talking about the power of God's word in our lives. Now, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to look at Psalms 119, 127. Check this out. This is a, a tra- I can't remember if it was New American Standard or ESV. I can't remember. It's one of them, but check it out. The psalmist says at the end of the chapter, he said, therefore, therefore, he's talking to God. And he says, I love your words above gold. That's it. Guys, just look at that for a second. Let that sink in what he's saying. He's saying, Lord, I love your words more than I love gold. I love your word, God, more than I love gold. Money. That, that, that's a bold statement. As Christians, we would say, amen. But do you really love his word more than you love money? Let's play a game real quick. Let's play a game. There's a game that the kids play called Would You Rather? Would You Rather? I think there may be even a book out there. Would You Rather? It's a great conversation starter. If you, if you need to have a conversation started today with somebody you're at lunch with. But it's a game where... Um, you pick two scenarios and you have to choose which one you would rather live out. So let's play it together. Don't shout it out, but stuff like, would you rather uh, die from a shark attack or a plane crash? Stuff like that. You're like, whoa, neither one of them sounds fun. It's a good conversation starter. All right. Would you rather, for you non-singers out there, would you rather sing the national anthem at the Super Bowl or eat a full jar of mayonnaise in five minutes? You know, stuff like that. All right. So we're going to We're going to play a game here real quick. Two hypothetical scenarios. Would you rather? We're going to see if you really love God's word more than you love money. All right. Would you rather become a Christian at eight years old, which means you're dying and you're going to heaven. So in both of these scenarios, when you die, you go to heaven. Y'all with me? So you become a Christian at eight years old, true salvation, and through your life, you become a billionaire. Money is unlimited. But after your salvation at eight, for whatever reason, you never, ever, ever, ever have access to God's word again. Become a Christian. You got unlimited money, but you never have access to God's word. Die and go to heaven. Would you rather have that? Or become a Christian at eight. You're in complete poverty your entire life abject poverty your entire life, but you have access to God's word. Going to heaven both times. One, you got money. One, you're dirt poor. One, you don't have God's word. One, you do. Would you choose to be a billionaire and not have God's word and go to heaven? Or would you choose absolute poverty but have God's word and go to heaven? What the psalmist is saying here is God's word is so much better than money. It's so much better than money. Now, why, why is he saying that? Well, through the whole chapter, he tells us, and if you, if, if you want to have a great quiet time this week, I encourage you to go study Psalms 119, because in Psalms 119, 11, he starts telling us why God's word is better than money. In verse 11, he says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so he starts off by saying, look, God's word gives me the ability to walk in holiness. 
I don't know if you've noticed, but money does not give you the ability to walk in holiness. He keeps going. Psalms 119, 28. He said, my soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. The psalmist is saying there, look, when your soul is being crushed with sorrow. You ever been there? When your soul is melting away with sorrow, God's word will strengthen you. I'm going to tell you something. Money will not strengthen your soul when you're in the midst of your heart melting away with sorrow. Psalms 119.54. I love this. It's been good for me this week. Your statutes, that means your word, your law, your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. The psalmist is saying, when I am walking and I'm living in the house of affliction, when I am walking through suffering, when my life is falling apart, God, your word is my song. It gives me the ability to sing. I have seen that over and over and over again. I just learned this week at 48, I have significant heart disease and I sat there in the front row and I worship God because he's good. And I'm telling you, money does not give you the ability to do that. In Psalm 119, 114, it says, you're my hiding place. You're my shield. And I hope in your word. My soul's melting away. When I'm living in the house of affliction, God's word is my hiding place. God's word is my shield. God's word is my hope. And money can never, ever say that. And that's why Psalms 119, 127, the psalmist says, therefore, therefore, I love your words more than gold. So in summary, here's what God's word does for us. And it's, it does so much more. It renews us and restores us spiritually. It helps us be filled up with the Holy Spirit of God so that we, um, in a profound way, encounter his presence and his power in our lives. When, it, when our soul is melting away with sorrow, it's strengthening us. When we are sitting in the house of affliction, it causes us to sing. The word of God is our shield, it's our hope, it's our hiding place, and I could keep going for a really long time, but the thesis of my sermon is God's word is awesome, amen? So the rest of my time today, here's what I'm going to do really quickly. I'm going to be done. We're going to do the Lord's Supper. I'm going to teach you how I have a quiet time, how I spend time in God's word. I learned this method that I'm about to teach you back in 2006. I was doing the math this week. 2006 in my brain does not sound like that long ago. But I did the math. That was 16 years ago. Can y'all believe that? 2006, that was 16 years ago. So 2006, I was a part of this cohort of young pastors that were guys in their mid to young, early 30s that were pastoring megachurches. And they brought us to um, this faraway place and some of these older pastor guys mentored us for a week. It was actually really cool. Well, about day three, I'm sitting around a table with all these young hotshot pastor guys that thought we knew it all. And one of the older uh, gentlemen that was pastors that were mentoring us looked at us and, and said, Boys, how many of y'all want to learn how to have a quiet time? Now, you got to remember, this, this is like a table full of up-and-comers, you know, pastoring megachurches at 32 years old. And so we're like, have a quiet time? What do you mean? We didn't say that, but we, we were actually more humble than that. But he goes, look, if you want to learn how to have a quiet time, I'm going to be here at 6 o'clock in the morning. I'll show you how to do it. So all of us got up. 
we came back to the table and this older guy taught us a Bible study method called REAP. It's called REAP. Um, it's, this is a REAP journal that I hold in my hands. We're gonna make these um, available to you today out in the foyer for cost, not making any money off of these. But in my opinion, of all the Bible study methods I've ever seen, um, this is my favorite. And a couple things about the REAP method. Number one, it gives you a Bible reading plan inside of this journal. Number two is it gives you a place to journal um, and write down what you're learning in the word of God. Another thing uh, I love about it is it's awesome whether or not you have like five minutes to study the word of God or you've got three hours. You can do either one e either way. Now, um, I think on the, on the screen here, I'm gonna show you why it's called REAP. And each one of your daily Bible study, um, it's, there's four components of your REAP journal time. The first one is read. That means you just read the scripture and then you um, write down the scripture you're gonna choose to journal on. And so maybe you have three or four chapters that you're reading. And I'll talk about this more in a second. But as you're reading, one of the things you pray is like, God, I want, you to, I want your spirit to speak to me. And as you're reading through the chapters, you sense where the Holy Spirit is kind of causing you to narrow in on one of, the, one of the verses. Should happen every time. And that's the verse or two that you're gonna journal on. And so you simply take some time and you write down um, the verse. Now, examine. This is the E. And I'll show you how to do this here in a second. But examine, all you're doing, this is where a lot of people get hung up, is all you're doing is taking a couple of, you know, a few lines in your journal, and you're just writing down what the scripture says. Not what you think it says, not, not like what it means to you, but you're just simply, what is the author's intended meaning of the verse? It's just a way to sort of get it into your brain. And then A, in your journal part, this is application. It's where you apply it. This is when you write a paragraph or so about what the verse means to you, how you want to apply it, how is God speaking to you, and then the, the last one is pray, and you write a prayer down. One of the things I love about it is I have REAP journals for the last 16 years, and I can go back, remember difficult times in my life. If I can remember the dates, I can go back and find my REAP journal and find the day that was happening and see what the Lord was speaking to me on that day. And uh, older believers will be able to relate to this, but you'd be shocked at how often when difficult things go on in your life, God was speaking to you on that thing in that time. Can I get an amen? I've seen that so many times. It's a beautiful thing. So here's what I'm gonna do. Just really quickly, this will probably take maybe five minutes. I'm gonna show you how I do this, okay? So... Um, I'm gonna use my computer to do this. We thought about having me do it on an iPad, but um, my writing is horrible. And so I'm gonna type this thing right here. And my computer, of course, is not coming up. But I'll start off while this thing is going here. So what you do is, let's, um, first thing I do is I, I pray. When I'm starting off my time, I just, I spend some time praying that the Lord would speak to me. So let's do that right now. Let's take 30 seconds here and let's pray. I'll pray for us. So Father, I come before you right now. And God, I, I do. I just thank you so much for your word. Lord, there's never been a time in my life where I have not sat down and gotten your word that I was sorry that I did it. Lord, I pray that you would speak to me 
right now as I read your word that you administer to my heart and ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's say it today. Um, usually I think they have the date up there. So what's today? Today is the, what, the six, uh, what is it, 19 or 20? Huh? 19, all right. So let's say six, 19. So that's the date. You write the date up there and then you do a, uh, it's gonna give you a place to do a title. And I'm gonna read today on 1 Peter 1.22, which is about the word of God and how the uh, grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. And so I usually come up with a title after I'm done, um, but we'll just title it, God's word stands forever, all right? All right, then you go down, and then I take some time, and I read the word of God. So let's say the reading plan for today was 1 Peter 1, 22 through 25. I slow down, got my cup of coffee, I'm breathing, I've prayed, my heart's ready, and I just read it. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. In verse 24, for all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Now, did y'all hear what kind of happened when I was reading that? I got to 24, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flowers of grass, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our Lord remains forever. And several of y'all went, amen. That's kind of what happened in my heart as I was reading that. Gone through a crazy week. I've, I've come through a week where I am coming face to face with the fact that my life is like a blade of grass. It's here today, it's gonna to be gone. And so that resonated in my spirit too. And so the first part is read, all right? I'm not gonna be able to do this, but then what you do there is you just type out the scripture. You know, you just may, and you don't have to write the whole thing. You know, you just pick 24 and 25 for all flesh is like grass. And you write it out. Then after that, you come down and you write examine. And then again, in the second part, all you're doing is writing what the word of God is saying to you here. So I might write something like, Peter is talking about the nature of our flesh. He's talking about how temporary our lives are compared to God's word. And I might say something like, it's hot outside here in Houston. And I've noticed that my grass is dying. You know, that's what he's saying about our lives. One day we're thriving, one day we're dying. But the word of God stands forever. The word of God never changes, right? That's the word of God, okay? So that's just, I'm simply saying what is writing or what the scripture is saying itself. And after that is when you write down apply. And here's when you write what God is showing you. And that's when I get really personal. I write something that six years from now, I can look back and remember what was going on in my life that week and how this applied to me. You know, I might write last week, or this week was an incredible, 
incredibly difficult week in my life. I learned that I have heart disease at an early age. Um, and I'm, I'm at that stage in my life where I'm, I'm realizing that I too will not live forever. And at times I found myself being fearful and afraid, but there's one thing that's comforted me is that God's word never changes. That God's word is true. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I can fear no evil because you are with me. And I'm writing that down. And at the end, you simply write pray, and then you write down a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It has been such a huge comfort for me over the last week. I thank you that no matter what happens on Friday morning, whether they find out it's worse than they thought and I have to do open heart surgery or whether it's no big deal at all, I thank you, God, that you are with me and that I can trust you and I can trust your word. In Jesus' name, amen. That's it. And what you do is you do that. That, if I were actually writing it, that probably would have taken 10 minutes. Um, if I had an hour, I could have done more, but it's very, very simple. Then you go down at the beginning of the book and then you write a little note, write the date, write the scripture and write the title. And so you can go back at any time and look through it. This has changed my life. I want it to change yours. I'm gonna say one more thing. We're doing communion, we'll be done. So important to go to church so important to go to your Bible studies. It's so important to hear and be taught the word of God in places like this. But guys, when you look at the scripture, it's just as important for you to get in the word of God yourself, if not more important. To learn to be a self-feeder. Guys, this country's going nuts. We don't know how long we'll get to do this. You go read the Revelation, it, it, might go, it might get worse. I want you to be able to feed yourself. When I, I'm talking feeding spiritually. I want you to be able to pastor your family and your community if this no longer is, if we're not able to do this. I would love for you to be so um, knowledgeable about the word of God that we could put you on an airplane, parachute you out in the middle of some crazy place in the Middle East, and then we come pick you up two years later and there's a fully functioning church right there where we dropped you off because you have grown so much in your word, in God's word. Um, we're gonna make those available outside. We're selling them for cost. I'm so glad I did this today. This was so effective. <sighs> but I'm gonna tell you why God's word is, thank you. Um, it's so amazing because the scripture says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, sitting with his disciples before the cross and he picked up some bread and he broke it. And he held it up and he said, men, this is my body. It's my body. It's gonna be broken for you. And he said, take it and eat it. As often as you do, do it in remembrance of me. And so right now, I want you to take a second, 
you to bow your head, close your eyes, and I want you to eat body of Christ. And as you do, remember the body of Christ that was broken for you. When you're going through suffering, there's something so comforting when you remember the suffering of Christ, that he's been there. That night after the bread, he held up the cup and he said, this is the the cup of, of my blood. It's a new covenant that I'm offering to you. He said, it's gonna be poured out for the forgiveness of your sins, all your sins, yesterday, today's sins, tomorrow's sins. He said, so take it and drink it. And as often as you do, do it in remembrance of me. And so I want you to drink from the cup today and remember the shed blood of Jesus that took away all your sins.